Please take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalm 13. We're going back to our study in the book of Psalms, Psalm by Psalm. All 150 is our journey that we have ahead of us for the, well, the next three or so years, probably. Psalm 13, though, I want to preach tonight on learning to pray when God seems distant. Learning to pray when God seems distant. Young people hear this. Uh, I told my children tonight, and I'll tell you, and all of us, you can all listen in as well, but young people in particular, I promise you, you're going to have tough times in life when you're going to feel like, God, where are you? God, you seem far. Lord, are you even there? Are you, do you even care? So I would encourage you to listen well, because if you hear the word of God and then you apply it, it will guard you and carry you through the difficult times that will come in your life. So Psalm 13, follow with me. I want to read it. It's very short, only six verses. It is a Psalm of David, a Psalm of David. Verse one. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But as for me, I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And then the end is for the choir director. I was sitting at a restaurant in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. It was in my PhD work with my Hebrew professor, Dr. Mark McGinnis. We were having a hamburger together over lunch. I was taking a Hebrew class with him, and he had just been diagnosed with a disease. It was a very rare disease. It was hard for even the doctors to pinpoint what it was, but suddenly he would have this sharp, stabbing pain in his brain, in his head, throbbing. It would be so bad at times he would fall over. It was chronic. It was a rare illness. I remember sitting with him over this hamburger lunch during our class together and talking about this illness and talking about what carried him through. It hadn't been going on all that long, but while it had gone on, it was really bad. It's actually still going, going on even to the present day as well. And I remember asking him, how do you endure? How do you, how do you get through this? I mean, as an older man, share with a younger man, wh what do you do? Where do you go? Where do you turn? He opened up his Hebrew Bible. I opened up my Hebrew Bible, and we went line by line through Psalm 13. 
And we just interpreted it, and really, he gave me his commentary with life application for how do you pray, how do you live, how do you triumph when God seems far? How do you triumph when it seems like the Lord has left you? What do you do? Where do you go? Where do you turn? I will hopefully never forget that lunch. It impacted me. It taught me so much. Every time I read Psalm 13, I always go back to that occasion with my professor and what I learned. But let's, let's make it a little more personal, though. Imagine with me a young girl named Stephanie. She's a young woman who idolizes her physical body. She wants to be attractive, so she eats. But then she vomits it all up. Imagine Roberto. Roberto is a husband who just lost his job. He's financially lacking. He's stressed out. He's tense with his wife, and he can't go to sleep at night. Too much going on. Imagine Rose. Rose is a woman totally enslaved to fear. She's afraid because of her own failing health. Her kids' lives are an absolute mess. Her money is running out. Chronic pain is waking her in the morning, and it goes with her all day long. Rose is a mess. Connor. Connor is a young man who's dating a godly and a very cute young lady who suddenly she ends the relationship with Connor. He sinks down in this dark cold, debilitating depression. Or Pastor Steve. He preaches faithfully the word of God, but his own church runs him out. They don't want him anymore because he doesn't keep the traditions of their denomination, nor does he soften his sermons. The church isn't growing like the deacon board would like, and so they fire him, they run him out, and they give him no financial package at all. What's amazing about every one of these scenarios, what do they have in common? They all go home. They all fall flat on their face, they weep, and they cry out to God, God, where are you? Where are you, God? How long is this going to go on? Have you ever been there? Have you known anyone in this situation? What do you do? Where do you turn when God seems distant? And in those times when maybe you don't know how to pray, and it's hard for you to find the words to pray in the suffering, God in his amazing goodness has given prayers to you. Actually, 70 of them. And they're called laments, a lament psalm. These are songs that are the dark nights of the soul. When you don't know how to pray, when you don't know where to turn, when it's hard for you to put words to your feelings, and everything inside of you and your feelings is screaming at you, forget God, abandon God, abandon the church, it's not worth it. What do you do when your feelings are telling you something different than your beliefs? The lament psalms are helpful, they're vital. 
The lament psalms are so important because a lament can be defined as a loud cry. A lament is a maybe a howl. It, it is a passionate expression of grief. But, but in the Bible, it's not just that. It doesn't stay there. A lament is more than just sorrow. It's walking through the stages of grief because it is a prayer in your pain that leads you to trust in God while going through your pain. So the the lament psalms aren't sort of this, well, all of your trials are going to go away tomorrow. It's okay. Get over it. No, the lament psalms help you to think and live rightly while going through the trial. And in the Lament Psalms, there's always a threefold structure, and there might be more details, but at least there's three elements. Number one, there's pain. There's pain. That's verses one and two of our psalm. There's pain. How long, Lord? How long? Where are you? What's going on? And then after pain, you have petition. Oh, Lord, I need you to do something. Lord, I need you to act. I need you to hear me. I need you to answer me. I need you to rise up. That's verses three and four. And then after the pain and the petition, then you've got the praise. I will. I will trust in God. I don't feel like it, but I know I need to. And I may not feel like God is near, but I know that God holds me and he loves me and he's with me. What I love about Psalm 13, I I, I go to this often in my own prayer times. The Psalm, number one, is honest. It's a very honest Psalm. It's a real emotional battle. We don't say, hey, the Christian life is pain-free. We don't believe that. This is an honest Psalm. Number two, it's very needed. It's a needed Psalm. Why? Because we battle with these feelings as well. And number three, it's hope filled. It's hope filled because it carries you from turmoil to trust. And you and I want to know, how do I get there? How do I get from the turmoil to the trust? How do I get from the pain to the praise? When everything in me, my feelings and my emotions are screaming at me, God has abandoned you. How do I get from that to, as for me, I will hope in the Lord? How do we get there? Psalm 13 is going to teach us. How to pray when God seems distant. Now, I want to give you the three headings because I think even the three headings hopefully are memorable. And again, these will carry you through life. Number one, you got to be honest with your God. Just be honest. Be honest with your God. Number two, you have to be moving toward your God. Moving towards your God. Number three, be trusting in your God. Follow with me. Number one. Be honest with your God. Be honest with your God. That's what David does in verse 1. Four times, verses 1 and 2. How long? How long? How long? David is mixing a complaint and yet a petition to God and yet with an attitude of humility. How long is this going to go on, Lord? How long? Verse 1. Are you going to forget me forever? I feel forgotten by you, God. End of verse one. How long will you hide your face from me? God, I feel isolated. I feel utterly abandoned by you, Lord. How long? 
third, verse two, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? Lord, I just have sorrow without end. I feel utterly overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. And then the end of verse two, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? Lord, I just feel defeated. I feel defeated. I feel conquered. I feel crushed. You and I might say, I just can't handle it anymore. I just can't handle it. I can't do this. What verses one and two teach is there is actually something that we should do. And that is be honest with our God. Sometimes we're afraid to do this. It's like, well, I I can't do that. I have to pretend or put on the face that everything's going good. How are things? Great. When in reality on the inside, you're miserable. Be honest with God. This is a holy complaint, not a sinful complaint, like an arrogant God. I don't like what you're doing in my life. This is a holy complaint. I come to God humbly. I come to God with lowliness and I'm pouring out my despairing, crushed heart before my father. But there are four attitudes. There are four responses that we have to guard from. And I put them there in your outline. And We've been here almost 12 years, Christ Fellowship Bible Church, seven years before that in California. I see this all the time. Guard from these. Number one, flight. When difficult times come, what do many people do? They run from God. They run from the church, they run from his people, and they run into isolation. Who's the biblical character who did that? Jonah. Jonah. He was angry with God. How long, O Lord? And he ran from God. He ran from God's people. He ran into isolation. Remember Proverbs 18, verse 1. Whoever separates himself seeks his own desire and he quarrels against all sound wisdom. Don't isolate yourself. So flight is wrong. Number two, fight is wrong. You fight with God. You fight with others. Someone says, hey, we, we, we miss you. We need you. God is working in your life. We care about you. Come back and, and worship with us. And they rise up in anger. A prideful, arrogant response. I think one of the great examples of this, sadly, is King Asa in the Bible. King Asa. He was reproved by the prophet, the man of God, for his sin. And he fought with God. Flight. Fight is a wrong response. Third, fury. Fury, angry with God. Moses was, had a time when he was angry with God. Jonah had a time when he was angry with what God was doing in their lives. That is a wrong response. The fourth wrong response that we have to guard from is folly. Folly. Just when, when things aren't going well, you feel like God is far. It's almost like you throw up your arms and you say, whatever, you give into sin. God isn't near me anyway. It seems like God doesn't care. So you just give into sin. You give in like, like Aaron building the golden calf. 
Well, where's Moses? He's on the mountain. What happened? What became of him? And then he builds a golden calf. Very simply, verses 1 and 2, here's what they teach. Don't run away from God. Don't run away from God's people. But rather, we ought to be honest with God. And then that leads to number two in your outline. We need to be moving toward our God. Notice how David in the suffering is moving toward God in verses three and four. Your questions need to turn into requests. Your sorrows need to turn into supplications. When you're perplexed, those need to turn into prayers. I don't know what this upcoming year will hold, but Matthew Henry's words are good. Days of trouble call for days of prayer. Whatever God is going to do in your life, whatever God is going to bring in your life, days of trouble call for days of prayer. Maybe, maybe you and I need to hear that at the start of 2023. Look at what David does in verse three. Three petitions. Consider, number one, answer me, O God, number two, enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. Three petitions. Number one, I want you to I want you to look upon me. Consider me, or maybe this rendition is good. Concentrate on me, Lord. Concentrate. Fix your focus upon me. Number two, respond to me. Respond. Look at it in verse three. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. God, I'm, I'm praying. God, I'm calling out. Do something. Number three, illumine me. Enlighten my eyes. I, I, I need help. Lord, Lord, cause me to see. You've heard the news recently, have you, of... All the weather in western New York, the blizzard up there and the Buffalo area. Imagine, imagine if you were in your car and you got stranded in this blizzard. And you get stranded and you you could ask all the questions in the world. Why, Why did my car do this? Where am I? Why? How long? All the questions. You you could just go on and on and on with the questions. Why, 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 why? Eventually, you need to call for help. You could ask questions all day long, but you've got to call for help. You, you need emergency assistance. You got to cry out. You got to move toward the emergency response team. You can't just say, well, what's wrong with my car? What's wrong with my engine? What's wrong? Why? You got to call, call out. And that's what these verses call us to do. You got to move toward God in prayer. Help me, answer me, enlighten my eyes. Verse four, even my enemies are going to say, I've overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. This is, this is one way that Paul prayed for the Ephesian believers. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of God's calling. So real quick, can I just give you a helpful paradigm 
a real helpful paradigm when you feel abandoned by God. Number one, take your complaint directly to God. Number two, you've got to seek the fellowship of the believers. I can't tell you how many times it is people suffer and then it's like they think that isolation is good for them. People go through trials and they think that less preaching, less fellowship, less time with God's people is somehow helpful. And that's not true. We need to seek the fellowship of believers. And number three, the third helpful paradigm for us is we've got to take time to serve others in their needs. Why? Because when we're going through hard times, we can become really self-absorbed. But it's good to take the focus off of self and to serve others. I might feel really crummy right now. Really crummy. But how can I serve that man, that woman, that family? How can I go out of my way to do that as a way of dying to self to serve other people? A simple paradigm. When we are going through the difficult times of life. God gives the church. He gives his word. He gives his presence to help us and to carry us along. Now, all of that is true. But aren't you thankful the psalm doesn't end there? Verse 1 and 2, be honest with your God. Verses 3 and 4, be moving toward your God. But now, This is where the cold winter turns into the colorful, warm summer in verse 5. I'll never forget at that table with my Hebrew professor. I don't know how much time we spent on this little phrase at the beginning of verse 5. But as for me. But I. Literally in the Hebrew, but as for me, I myself. My emotions are screaming one thing at me, but as for me, I know I need to do this. My feelings are telling me this. My emotions are telling me this, but I know that I need to do that. But as for me, notice in verse 5, I have trusted in your love. My heart will rejoice. Verse 6, I will sing. Do you see the choice? I will, I will, I will. There's no I feel here. Does David feel like it? Well, probably not. Does David feel like praising? Well, quite honestly, in this psalm, probably not. He feels like God is far. He feels like God is distant. But as for me, now, church family, you and I need to get here. In the difficult times, when God seems far, you got to get to the, but as for me, but as for me, I myself, we can't just wallow in our sorrow. We have to choose to worship God in our sorrow. Notice the word choose. Even if our feelings, even if our emotions even if everything inside of us is screaming, 
this doesn't feel right. We have to choose to worship God. Here's what we learn. Faith doesn't always give you answers in your trials, but it does give you encouragement in who God is. You and I might not get all the answers of why God is doing what he's doing, but you can always go to the character of God and he's faithful. What we need to remember and rehearse and re-preach and reaffirm is this. By the grace of God, I am saved. By the grace of God, through faith, I am a child of the King, and all of that is not of my own doing. It is a gift of God. We ought to say, by grace, I am saved through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. And the covering of his perfect righteousness that washes away my sin and makes me acceptable in the eyes of God. By grace, I am saved through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So even in my pain, I can choose to trust. Even in my pain, I can choose to worship. You think, isn't that hypocritical? No, it's obedient. Well, but I don't feel like being at church. I don't feel like singing. But you're obeying. You're obeying and you know that God is with you and near. And he's promised his presence. Notice in your Bible in verse 5, David says, number one, I have trusted in your love. When you don't feel like it, you know where you go? The love of God. I'll tell you about it. It is a steadfast love. It's faithful. It never depends on your performance. Number two, it's a strong love. When you're weak, the love of God is strong. When you feel like you can't get through another hour, the love of God will carry you through. The the love of God is a sovereign love. It is from God. It is a kingly love, not an earthly love, a, a heavenly love. It is a saving love. And it is a secure love, keeping, protecting holding you till the end. I will trust in the love of God. I don't have anything to hold on to here in this world, but I can trust in the love of my God. Number two, notice what David says at the end of verse five, my heart will rejoice. I will rejoice in God's salvation. Notice in my circumstances, no, no, no. I'm not going to rejoice in my trial and my hard time and my situation and the evil all around me. No, I'm going to rejoice in the salvation that God has given. The plan of God in eternity past. The work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. The Spirit of God giving life to your soul. The hope of heaven that is unfailing. I will rejoice in that. At the end of the psalm, I will sing. I will sing. 
You know what Spurgeon did when he got to this point in his commentary? He said, there's not half enough singing in the world. He tells the story of a young girl who was a servant. She used to wash clothes all day long. Wash clothes, wash clothes, wash clothes. She would sing all day long. She would sing. Her master said to her, why do you sing so much? Why are you always singing? The young girl said, because it keeps the bad thoughts away. What a great lesson. When life isn't always fun, to sing to the Lord and to praise God. Why, verse 6? Because he has dealt bountifully with me. You and I could recount blessing after blessing after blessing that God has done for you in your life. What a good God. What a great God. We sing. It reminds us of truth. Maybe if we reflect on this for a minute, number one, Christian, in times of hardship, you and I can sing to give you perspective. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. It gives you perspective when you sing. Number two, we need to remember the great works of God of old. The same God who brought Israel through the wilderness is the same God who will carry you through the trials of life. You can give thanks for the works of God in your life. How has God dealt bountifully with you? If I gave you a pen and a piece of paper and said, go for 10 minutes, you could fill front and back of that piece of paper in all the ways God has worked in your life. Number four, you can stand amazed at the mercy of God towards you. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But God showed mercy toward us. And finally, number five, you and I should consume our hearts with the nearness of heaven. This world and the pain and the suffering and the trial was not God's original design in the garden. Oh, it's so beautiful and communion with God and peace and harmony and tranquility. But you know what? Sin entered the world. But one day there will be a consummation. One day there will be a new heavens and a new earth. We ought to live a forward-tilted life. Looking forward to that day. So we need the psalm of lament. I think these final two verses tell us that David is committed to worshiping God even while the pain remains. God may take the pain away, but he may not. God may take the difficult trial away. He may intensify the trial. What do we do? 
when God seems far, when he seems distant, we have to go even to the Psalms of Lament, and you can pray them and turn them into your own prayers, and you can be honest with God. You can be moving toward God. You can be trusting in your God. Let that be a good lesson for all of us. I want to end just with a simple illustration. It's a, of a pastor. His name is Pastor Mark, true story. He pastors in Indiana. Years of chronic pain and multiple surgeries, limited ministry and horrible side effects from all the medications that he was on. Mark was tired, depressed, worn out. He felt absent from God and he thought God was utterly silent in his life in ministry. Mark was counseled by a friend to go to Psalm 13. He read it. And then he read it. And he read it again. He said, it's not so much under the sharp pain of life that you and I can be tempted, but it's under the prolonged pains of life. When the trials, though they can be intense, but they remain. The prolonged trials that we are in danger of fainting. We're in danger of giving up. We're in danger of saying, God, is it worth it to follow you? But then Mark came to this conclusion. Listen to this. He said, because God is God... I don't have to be. So I can trust in God. I can look to God. I can cling to God. I can sing to God. I can rely on God. I can hold fast to God. And one day, Christian, soon, one day soon, you and I will stand in the presence of Christ. No more sin. No more pain. No more suffering. No more lament. No more tears, no more how longs. And we will behold God face to face. If God did not spare his only son, but he freely gave him up for us, how much more will he give us all things we need even to go through the difficult times of life? We serve a faithful God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we need Psalm 13. It's almost so honest, we're, we're afraid to even pray it sometimes. But God, we do pray and we ask that you would mercifully protect us when the trials come, when you seem far away, when we feel like you're abandoning us, may it be, O oh God, that we walk and live by truth, that we would rejoice and trust and rely upon you. Help us, guard us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.